share from my heart tonight, but turn with me to Psalm 139. Uh, I, I would like to think that I'm always speaking from my heart, uh, but particularly today, uh, this week, and, and just the news of Marilyn's death. And um, uh, Whenever I got the call, um, when I looked down at my phone, it said Marilyn Tilly, and so when I answered my phone, it was with the expectation that Marilyn's voice would be there. And then, of course, when it wasn't her voice, kind of the alarm bells went off. And then, but even then, I thought, well, it's her daughter. She's going, you know, maybe they've admitted her to the hospital. That's been the case a number of times. And and she just kind of went directly to the point, and she said, "Mama's gone." And then she began to uh, tell me about that. But it it just hit me in the gut. Uh, I mean, it was just like you got gut punched. And same effect when I shared with Cheryl and called her and Laura. Uh, and Laurie as well. It's just like a, a gut punch. Uh, and it just really struck me because we've, we've endured those things before at Diamond Hill. In fact, some of you folks who are newer may not realize, but the two maple trees in the front yard uh, were planted as memorials uh, by A.W. Myers for his two sons. Uh, one was killed in a car wreck. Uh, the other one's car broke down on the interstate. Flav, you remember, broke down on the interstate. and he had tied it down and jumped off the rollback and drawn out in the traffic and was killed by a tractor trailer. Uh, C.J. Myers was the other one. So those two trees are representative of those sons. So we know as a church what the gut punch feels like. Um, and there have been other occasions as well. And uh, it struck me this week that it's, it's those times that challenge our theology. Um, we can say things in a general sense, uh, but then when these sudden, unexpected, seemingly senseless, avoidable things happen and a life is gone, uh, it challenges me. There's a tension that that creates, uh, and it calls me to reevaluate my theology. If I can give just a brief word of testimony, I know someone uh, who embraced the sovereignty of God uh, in in, in every, every fa form and fashion, that God was without limitation sovereign over all things. And, and then a tragedy struck their family. And I watched him as his theology changed to, well, God is sovereign, uh, and I think we're saved, but I think life kind of unfolds in ways that God's not directly involved. And, and I witnessed uh, having compromised their convictions regarding the sovereignty of God actually became the source of the lack of their comfort. And, and I've watched as they've systematically withdrawn from fellowship with Christians, and there is just no solace, no balm for them. And I think it's rooted in the fact that they let go of, of the sovereignty of God. And I think there's always a real danger for that. When things happen in our lives that are inexplicable, uh, things that make no sense, that seem completely random, uh, we feel that tension. How could God be sovereign in something like this? Not only those sudden events, but tragic events, catastrophic events, and loss of life with, from children, and even things to murder, and all sorts of things. And it calls into question, is God sovereign. I wrote this as kind of an introduction to my thoughts, but uh, particularly in regards to Maryland's passing. 
we would generally agree that the day of our conception and birth, the duration of our lives and our death are ordained by God before the foundation of the world. With our aged loved ones, we observe with sadness uh, and we observe what saddens us, yet is the expected growing bodily weaknesses uh, and it may span a number of years or it may be relatively shortened, but it usually results in more frequent doctor visits, additional medications, hospitalizations, which later become more frequent, and finally, immobility becomes limited, and then eventually they become bedridden, and from there they decline, eventually becoming unresponsive, and then in months, weeks, or days, they slip away to, and go to be with the Lord. Of course, we weep and we grieve for our loss and try to adjust to life without someone so dear uh, to us, and our, and our heavy hearts uh, seem to find some comforting or some consolation in verses like Psalm 139. Uh, let me read that to you tonight, uh, at least down to verse 18. O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all of my ways. Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. You have enclosed me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in show, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand will lay hold of me. If I say, surely the darkness will overwhelm me and the light around me will be night. Even the darkness is not dark to you and the night is as bright as the day. Darkness and light are alike to you for you form my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in this verse and in your book were written all the days that were ordained for me when as yet there was not one of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. And I think when, the, when, the, when events unfold in a normal progression as we accept as normal, when we see someone and they age and we love them and we see them slowing down and we see uh, their bodies weakening and we see this whole process and even though our hearts are heavy and we grieve and sometimes even at the moment of their death, we feel a flood of emotions, but nothing has happened that was not expected. In fact, I say we find almost a, a peaceful resignation in this verse. I say that because 
there is peace in the sense that God is sovereign, that God is not unconnected from these events, that God, God knows. And this did not surprise God, this event, this death of my loved one. It didn't surprise God. In fact, God knew the, the beginning of their days, their conception. Uh, when he says there, uh, you ordained all of my days, uh, I think it could mean not just the number of those, but the days themselves and even to all the way into the day of my death. So there's a there's a comfort in that God was not surprised by the events that shock us like this week or even as we see those things progress uh, more normally in our eyes. But I say resignation also because at the same time we realize that there is a, there is a day coming for us. Uh, and so so when things progress normally, we're not, it's not so challenging to our theology. See what I'm saying? In other words, by, if it were just by experience alone, we all know if we don't early on, we certainly learn soon that people that we love die and that all around us people die. And so we know that we will have the same fate as they do. Death is a part of living, we might say. So, so long as things unfold in a more natural perceived natural way or or the normal way it may hurt but we're not we're not set aback by it we're not stunned by it we are not knocked down by it we are hurt we are saddened uh, and we are all those things but nothing here is unexpected and this is where the tension comes for me when, when things aren't progressing as normal, when there's not a long decline, when there's not a slowing down of the body, when there's not more medications and more hospitalizations and finally a stay at the hospice and finally death comes and they breathe their last. It's when all those things are absent, when you look down at a phone and it says Marilyn Tilly and you answer it expecting to hear Marilyn uh, getting on to you about something <laughs> and, and it's another voice and the voice says Marilyn's been killed today. Boom! That's, that's not normal. You see what I'm saying? When we got word of CJ being thrown through the T-tops of his car and his brother riding beside him didn't have a scratch, but CJ broke his neck and CJ was lying in the hospital awaiting a conversation from his father before they unplugged the machines and he died. Shock! That's not supposed to happen. And when Flav did something so innocent as strapped his car down and stepped off the rollback and a tractor trailer smashed him in the right lane of the interstate. That's not normal. We can't find rest here singularly because number one, it's not normal. Yes, we acknowledge that there is a beginning and an end to life, but this cannot be under the providential hand of a sovereign God to be such a senseless way of taking life, such as with Marilyn, a car backing over her. Uh, so that challenges us. Is therefore God sovereign in the days of our conception, birth, through those days into the day of our death? If he's sovereign in there, is he sovereign in the manner or means of our death. There's the tension. Uh, is he? 
We, you, we believe, uh, we believe, but when these things happen and they are senseless, uh, well, another one came to my mind, Rosie, Rosie Adams, his son-in-law who was riding a bicycle, run over by a car and, and the car just drives away and we get the word that it's happened. We go to the house and the whole family is enraged and it's all the highway patrol can do to keep them in check because those things are not supposed to happen. And the question arose that night, if there's a God, how could it happen this way? That's the tension. And if you've never been to the place to feel it, then you just haven't had the occasion yet. But I've been there. I've been there, especially as I mentioned with CJ and his brother Alan. How do two boys in the same car that hits a telephone pole, one gets ejected through the T-top, rolls in the field, gets up and dusts his pants off, and the other one breaks his neck and loses his life? Is that completely random? Uh, those are the questions that come to mind, and, and it's difficult. It's difficult. In those times, and I think they're challenging. But here's what I want to get across to you tonight. If you, if you in those moments abandon true doctrines in regards to God, you you short circuit your hope. You make it you make it more difficult to find comfort. Because now you're saying, I believe God is sovereign over the time of his birth and the time of his death. But somehow he was not involved in any way in the means or the manner of their dying. And therefore, you cut yourself off from hope. You're not vindicating God, which I think is the instinct in that. Because we look at that and we say that could obviously serve no good, no purpose whatsoever. It's completely random. And I cannot attribute such a horrible thing to God lest I be guilty of accusing God of something. So we, to vindicate God in our own conscience, we decide that the biblical theology of God should not be held to in moments like these. Our experience now has become the, the, the interpreter of the scriptures. And in doing that, we cut ourselves off from our, the very source of our hope, which I would submit to you tonight, tonight is the sovereignty of God. You, you, you cut yourself off from that when you do that. Psalm 136, 16 is right. But we think to ourselves, maybe the manner or means of our death are not so directly under a sovereign hand. There are many verses, and I just selected a few, but there are many verses that would counter that sort of thinking. Uh, one, of the, one of the most obvious of which uh, I quoted very recently. In fact, Acts chapter 12, verse uh, chapter 4. Some of you may know it, but turn there with me. speaking to those who were who had gathered against Christ he writes in verse 27 for truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus 
they were gathered, whom you anointed, both Herod, Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. So that's, those are the means, these are instruments. And what were they doing? They were doing, verse 28, whatever your hand and your purpose predestined to occur. And so, so that is a clear indication that God was sovereign in regards to the manner and the means of Christ's crucifixion. So even if you disregard that in every other life, you have to at least concede that God is not disengaged. He didn't just say, uh, uh, send Christ to earth to die in any way. He sent him to die in a very specific way. I shared from John the other night. Jesus said, what shall I say? Deliver me from this hour, but for this hour I have come into the world. For this purpose I have come into the world. I don't want to be delivered from this hour. This is why I have come. So we might say, well, that's, that's right. But do you say that the manner of death or the means and manner of death were irrelevant? He could have got run over by a chariot and would have accomplished the same purpose. I say to you, no. Because God ordains not only that Christ should die all the way back into Isaiah 53, the Lord was pleased to crush him. Not only does he ordain that the son must die, but he also ordains the, the instruments and the means and the manner by which he must die. Jesus said in John 12, what? I must be lifted up. And then they counter that and say, well, we've heard of the Messiah that he's to go on forever. And then Jesus says, I must be lifted up. If I lift, be lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. And then John gives us a commentary and he tells us when Jesus said I must be lifted up, he meant that I must be crucified. He was indicating the manner of death. Now here's the theological question. Is God sovereign and is God ruling and reigning in the manner, the crucifixion in the manner of Jesus' death? And the answer, I believe, is absolutely. Absolutely. Does that relieve those who were doing it from any responsibility for their lust and their rage and their murderous attitudes? Absolutely not. They are fully guilty. They were not coerced to act against what they willed and desired to do themselves. But God did not relinquish sovereignty in that moment to the mere whims of men. And neither does he in other circumstances. I thought about this, does God ordain means and manners in general? And I thought about this, but think about Jonah. I mean, it is said of Jonah that God appointed a fish. Of all the fish in the sea, how many whales or fishes were there of the size to swallow Jonah? We don't know. Maybe God appointed one and created a singular one. My ten, I tend to think that there were probably many of that species, but out of one of them, God appointed. That's a sense that says God has orchestrated or ordained that a fish would come along at just the right time when Jonah was to th be thrown overboard to swallow Jonah. So even though we know that Jonah doesn't ultimately die, as far as they were concerned, the source of Jonah's death was a well. And what did they conclude? Well, he must have been an evil guy. We, we threw him over the side and now a well's eating. 
God appointed the means of, the, uh, of Jonah's suffering in that moment. And from their perspective would have been even his death. But God rescues him and, uh, and he appoints that the fish should go to the shore and vomit out, uh, vomit out Jonah. And so Jonah goes and obeys the command of the Lord. And then after he declares the judgment of God and he goes and takes him a seat somewhere. And then it says God did what? He appointed a tree or a vine. So now God's in the business of appointing fish, appointing vine. Does God relinquish his sovereignty and let things unfold and just make them work ever how they work out according to his power? No, he is intimately involved in the working out of the thing. He is appointing means and manners to accomplish his purpose. Fish, plants. And if that's not enough for you, he appoints a worm to eat up the plant. And so what I'm getting at here is if you say that, well, God is sovereign over my conception, my birth, and and the days of my life, and then my death, and I take some solace in that. And then when tragedy strikes, you, you abandon the idea of the sovereignty of God in every moment of life. But the biblical reality is if God does not relinquish his minute sovereignty in exercise throughout the lives, not only of you and I and Marilyn and Flav and CJ, but in every atom in the universe, you say, that's un- incomprehensible, Larry. And I say, yes, it is. And I'm here, here's where I've come to. I, I'm, I live with that tension because there are circumstances that you could probably name right now. And you'd say, Larry, you mean to tell me that God is sovereign and ordaining these things as they are unfolding? And I would have to say, according to the scriptures, yes. Do you understand it, Larry? No, I don't. But that's exactly what God says in Psalm 147. And even what Isaiah uh, indicates many times in the book of Isaiah. I am God. That is the foundation for what he's acting. Yes, if human beings were acting in such a way, you may have a just cause. But I'm a different being than you. I am just in all of my dealings. In fact, if, if you think about I've shared with someone again yesterday or last night about why I'm convinced that hell is eternal. These people who are annihilationists who believe, yeah, well, if you sin against God and, and he judges you, he sends you to hell, you get incinerated and that's the end of you. That is hell is the end of life. Whereas the believer gets to live on in immortality. And I was trying to communicate to them the difference is, is God is not like you. He is infinitely holy. And if any sin is an affront against the holiness of God, which is infinite and requires a debt to be paid to, to reconcile that sin against infinite holiness, what price can be paid to achieve satisfaction for an affront against an infinitely holy God. That's why Jesus is so critical. 
Because only Christ can satisfy the debt owed against, uh, 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 by one who sins against a God whose holiness is never ending. If I sinned against you and I could pay you back and pay you back and pay you back and pay you back. And at some point it would get to the point that you're not perfect either. So I'll settle for this amount. We'll consider ourselves reconciled. You can't do that with God. He's infinitely holy. You're never going to pay him enough to where he looks at that and says, okay, that's satisfactory. Because for him to do so apart from Christ would be to concede some of his holiness. And he's not going to do that. And this same God says to Noah, the foundation even for Moses, I mean, the foundation for God's acting is this. I am God. There is no other. There is no other. So it's rooted in this understanding of God. Here were some verses that were striking to me when I first kind of put them together with this search for this understanding to at least some degree the sovereignty of God. And the first one was, I'll read the first one that really struck me and then the second one that followed that up. But here's the first one, Proverbs 16, 33. The lot cast into the lap, I'm paraphrasing here, the lot cast into the lap, uh, we, we think of that as throwing the dice, uh, man cast the lot into the lap, but the, how the dice land is the business of the Lord. So now you say, well, no, I believe God is sovereign over our life and, and our birth and our death, but I don't think he gets involved in these little things. Well, have you ever played Monopoly? Have you ever... Shot craps, <laughs> he's involved. This, the proverb writer see, clearly says here, yeah, I, I did this and I done that number and I rolled them across the board, but how they landed was determined by God. That sounds like minute engagement in acting in his sovereignty and his providence. That's stunning, isn't it? I mean, that's amazing, especially given as many times as I've lost in Monopoly. The roll of a dice that God is governing over the roll of a dice. Here's the one that was the clincher for me, though. Proverbs 21, 1. And the reason it's the clincher is because it tells me that the actions are not, the actions are not being coerced against the will of the man. Because in Proverbs 21, 1, it says this. The, the heart of the king is as rivers of water in the Lord's hand. Clearly, he's indicating the Lord has custody of the heart of the king and then what does it say and he turneth it whichsoever way he will and the reason that, that was striking to me is because with the first verse I said well God God can handle inanimate objects so now it doesn't matter what the motivation of the dice thrower was whether he was gambling or whether he was playing monopoly the, the motivation in the heart of the one throwing the dice was irrelevant God just handles the outcome. And then I could support that with Romans 8, 28, which God works all things together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose or the called according to his purpose. But then I read from Proverbs 21, 1, and that tells me something a little different. The heart of the king is as rivers of water in the Lord's hand. The Lord is turning now the heart of the king in whatever direction he wants to turn it. Which, is, which I think is demonstrated in the life of Pharaoh, whom he hardened 
in whom hardened himself. And so, so now, now it's serious because not only is God superintending and ordaining and, and sovereign in the, in the events of life, it is God who is shaping the hearts that are acting to bring about the events in whichever way he wills. We know in lots of scripture, God is working all things according to his counsel of his will. We'll see that in the end here in Ephesians chapter 1. He works all things according to the counsel of his will, his purposes. You see, that's stunning to me. And here, here's, the, here's the rub. is There is a natural resistance in fallen men against that, that sovereignty. And I asked Cindy if I could share this, but when I preached Sunday night, uh, when she came out, she had this bright beaming smile. And she said, I remember the first time you preached from that text and the sermon like that. And she said, I went home mad at you, angry. And she said, but then I got home and I said, I'm going to open the Bible. And I'm going I'm to see if this is true. And she said, every time I turned the page, there it was again and again and again. And here's the difference. When she, she said this, she said, when I heard it preached tonight, my heart leaped. I had joy. I'm, I'm rejoicing in that kind of God now. Not angry about it. And see, that's the tension. When things like that happen suddenly and they're inexplicable and they seem completely random and, and completely senseless and the, and the finite mind of, a, a mind of a hurting man cannot fathom how God could possibly be involved in the events that have unfolded and there makes no sense whatsoever, that is the moment to, to cling to the sovereignty of God, not to, not to diminish it or mitigate it to justify Him. He does not need your justification. He is just by his very nature. I mean, Job rebuked his wife in this way. Shall we receive good from the Lord and not also calamity from the Lord? Job seems to recognize that both good and calamity f flow out from the Lord, even if he uses means and instruments that are not him directly. In this case, Satan uh, coming against Job and the Sabaeans and so forth, killing his children and raiding his farms. All those were manners and means, but Job understood that these are flowing out from God. Shall I receive the blessings of life at directly at the hand of God through whatever means he chooses and then when calamity comes say, I don't like the means. I don't like the manner. I don't like the, the instrument or the conduit through which the calamity is coming and I don't like the calamity. I just want the good. And see, here's why I think that is so critical. Because if you deny in your own heart, you don't rob God of his sovereignty in your denial. You rob yourself of the comfort that a sovereign God brings in those moments. And here's why I say that. Turn with me to Ephesians. I want to read beginning in verse 1. And I'll make my point at the concluding of that reading. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you 
And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. In all wisdom and insight he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the kind intention which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the times, that is, the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on the earth. In him also we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, here's the verse, according to his purpose who works all things. All things. Now, according after the counsel of his will. And so what caught my attention is all things. Now, what would you exclude from that? If you say, I believe that God is sovereign and has ordained the day of my conception, my birth, the days of my life, and the conclusion of my life, I think all those things are ordained of God and are written in a book before I ever exist on the planet to live a single one of them. But I don't think he's, I don't think he's directly monitoring and ordaining and, and decreeing the, the very events of my life as it's unfolded. Well, when you do that, you've limited the all. I mean, if that's true, then Paul should have said here, he, he does all things, he does some things according to the purpose, the counsel of his own will. But Paul doesn't say that. This is, this is exhaustive and all-inclusive. He does everything, everything, according to the counsel of his will. I love it when Jesus is talking about the sparrows. You remember, not a single sparrow falls apart from your father's knowledge. He is mindful of the sparrow. I think I was reading the, the, the coinage used there was the smallest possible, and you got two sparrows for the smallest possible coin. You can't get any cheaper than that. In other words, if you divided that, you'd have to break the currency in half and say, okay, they're just worth a half a penny apiece. It'd be like if you had two birds and they were, and it only cost a penny. Well, we don't have coinage cheap enough to tell how invaluable the sparrow is. And so of, of such an invaluable thing as that, God is monitoring and watching over and ordaining the life of the sparrow. And one day two sparrows are flying around, perhaps on opposite sides of the planet, and one of them falls out of the billions of sparrows in the earth, and God says, did you see that? I did. Not only did I see it, I was, uh, I was acting sovereignly and providentially to bring about the events that produce the dying of the bird in the sky and the falling of the bird to the air. I was acting in all of those things. If God's not that, then you're diminishing your comfort. Here's what I thought about in terms of Maryland's to death today as I was meditating about that and the gut punch it is to me. As has, as has been a number of times in my time at Diamond Hill. To say that God is not sovereign in that way would be to say that everything involved 
in, in producing the things that resulted in Mar Maryland's death today were completely random. It is to say that God was not able or not willing to keep the battery of the truck from starting. He was not willing to interrupt the circuitry of the solenoid to send the signal to turn the motor over. He was not, he was not, he was not able or willing to adjust the time to where Maryland would got pie before the guy backed out. He was not willing at all in the desire or even the scheduling of Maryland's appointment for today at the hour that he did. I don't know what the other guy was doing there, but was he not acting in the appointment of his appointment there, assuming that he was in the doctor's office as well? It's hard for me to believe that God has relinquished his sovereignty in all of those areas and things just happened. God knew it. He knew it was going to happen that way, and he might have even knew the manner of her death, but he wasn't involved at all other than knowing how it was going to go. So he foreknows what, what happens or what's going to unfold. Or, or is God acting sovereignly to bring about the things that are the counsel of his own will? Are the means and the manners and the methods and all those things under the providential sovereignty of God Almighty? Is he, is he turning the roll of the dice? Is he moving the heart of kings whithersoever he will? Or isn't he? And to me, the comfort of, of realizing that he is is laid out for us in Ephesians. Because if he is not working all things according to the counsel of his will, then you're not predestined to salvation in Jesus Christ. You're not chosen before the foundation of the world. You're not redeemed by grace. None of the things that he just mentioned are possible for you because if you believe they are left unto yourself and in your fallenness and your death, you will never choose those things and you are eternally lost if God is not sovereign. I remember thinking in my Christian life, I am rejoicing that God overthrew my will. I am rejoicing that he didn't come to me and negotiate with me in regards to what you ought to believe, Larry, is this. And here's why you ought to believe that and all those things. He didn't negotiate at all with me. I was hardened in my sin, dead in my trespasses, Ephesians chapter 2. And, and I walked in the way of this world and my destiny was eternal condemnation. And God, through Christ, overthrew all of that, invaded, as it were, my life and revealed himself to me. And in doing that, made the heart desire him. He is the cause of my choosing him, not the consequence of my choosing him. He brought about that decision. And here's, here's where I found comfort in the gut punch of the news of Maryland's uh, passing out of this world. That God is indeed sovereign. That he is acting in all things according to the counsel of his will. And when I can't explain those things and when they look completely unreasonable and, and irrelevant to anything that God might be doing in the world, even in those moments I say, nevertheless, I will not abandon what your word says. Whether it's in Maryland's life or mine, does that mean it isn't a fight uh, to trust in him in those days, absolutely. But in the fight, 
You come to understand the very foundation of your salvation. It is his sovereignty. It is his power and authority to act as he will upon the dead human hearts to bring about salvation. My very eternal life, Maryland's life, is dependent upon a God that is that sovereign, not a God that relinquished sovereignty here and there. Because what if he relinquishes that sovereign in regards to my salvation? He is God, as he says to Isaiah, and he says uh, to the psalmist as well, I am God, and there is no other. There is no other. I will not give my glory to another. This is why I think Paul says, you are saved by grace through faith, and that's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Why is it a gift of God? So you can't boast. So you can't boast. And to me, to relieve God of responsibility for things that we can't explain is in essence to boast. And I say that based on James chapter four. You remember James says, woe to you. Come now you who say we will go to this city tomorrow and we will do business and we will make a profit and we will come back. Then then he rebukes them and says to them, what are you doing? Your life is a vapor. You don't know. You don't know whether you're going to go down there and do this. Rather, you should say, if the Lord wills. Think about what he's saying there. If the Lord is willing, acting sovereignly in my, in my thinking about going down there, then I will go. And once I get down there, if the Lord is thinking and acting sovereignly in regards to me making a profit, then I'll make a profit. And if, and if he sees fit to give me a prophet and, and begins in his sovereignty to want to bring me back to the place of my origin, then I will go back to that place. And James follows up with this. Anything else is arrogant. It's arrogance. He says to live your life essentially thinking that God just governs the, the outcomes and the broad and the general things and not, is not daily involved in whether or not you go somewhere, make a profit, and return. If you disregard God in that area, you're, you're not relieving God of anything. You're, you're boasting against God. You're saying, well, he's in charge of the big stuff, but I am sovereign in these areas. No, you are not. It's James's message. In fact, if you press that issue, you're manifesting arrogance because God is indeed in charge. And I have to say that my experience was as Cindy's. When I first began to read these things and read those verses, it come against a hardened heart that was bent on thinking that I am the captain of my ship and it was pressing against that and challenging my own authority in my own life and, and I felt a resistance to that. But like her, I began to open the Bible and I began to read over and over and over and over again. And the very thing that was so offensive to me in the beginning now has become the foundational doctrine in regards to God of my salvation and a source of great joy, great joy. Because you and I don't have to leave this building tonight thinking that we are rolling the dice. God's got us in heaven. If something was bad to happen to us, we'll still go to heaven and thank God for his sovereignty. No, when you walk out that door, God's sovereignty is in action. And his providence is ruling in every decision you make, even in the turning of one's heart. Uh, All those things. 
And we don't have to worry about some coincidence or some accident or some unexpected sequence of events. Somehow or another, no matter how ridiculous or horrible they may seem, to have escaped the providential power of an almighty God in my life. Maybe when I get into glory, he'll explain why he chose those particular means. Why some people leave this world in a moment, in an instant. Why some suffer and linger for for decades before God takes them home. I don't know what the counsel of God is in the individual lives. But I don't, I will not concede that he has abandoned his sovereignty because of my limited understanding. I can't do that. I would have to deny the scriptures. So I share this tonight because I want your hearts to be encouraged as well. You know what I thought coming here tonight? Uh, and, and I'll probably share this in their service, but y'all all know Maryland. I'll guarantee you Maryland would be smiling and said, leave it to me to leave here and get run over by a truck. Uh, I could just see her saying that as clear as a day because at this point, the means mean nothing to her because whatever the means and whatever the manner have introduced her into the presence of God, of the Lord Almighty and the joy that she knows in the presence of the Lord is not to be compared with any temporary joy we have here. Uh, I think sometimes we learn to hold on to what we got here uh, too hard, uh, too strong. Stand with me. I pray that that's helpful for you. The studying and the thinking about it was an encouragement to my heart. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. And Father, I thank you that you are, you have not relinquished command that you have not relinquished your sovereignty and your power to work all things according to the counsel of your will. Lord, I thank you that our salvation depends upon that reality and not anything in and of ourselves. Uh, Lord, we do remember the requests we've mentioned here tonight. There are other needs and there are other means and manners and circumstances unfolding in the lives of folks we love. And Lord, it may be that some of those become the means by which you take a brother or a sister home. And some of those may be a means by which you sanctify and, and make ready to come home someday. But Father, I pray that we'll hold fast to the truths of your word. Lord, I pray that we will not feel inclined to vindicate you or to justify you in any way, but to let your word stand. You are sovereign. And because of that, we are saved. And Lord, I thank you that Marilyn knew that promise. And I pray that she is living the fulfillment of that promise as well, awaiting now the resurrection when the kingdom shall be consummated and all shall be well with us in your presence. Bless those who've come tonight, Father. I pray their hearts would be encouraged in the, very, in the daily life, Lord, the, the fighting for the faith of every day, trusting that they have a sovereign God who is not disengaged, but working intimately and in every moment to bring about his purposes in our lives. Thank you for that hope and promise. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.